episode 80 of the pilot the pilot podcast takes off now Yeah, I'm Dick Nepinski. I'm Director of Communications for the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh and been here since 1992. AV Nation, today's episode is brought to you by Sporty's 2020 Learn to Fly course. I don't know if you were like me in my training, but I needed every resource possible to pass an FAA written test, to pass my practical, to pass the oral. So this is a great opportunity. It's called Sporty's 2020 Learn to Fly course, and it's an opportunity for you to ace your FAA written test, save money during flight training and become a better pilot with Sporty's 2020 Learn to Fly course. Over 15 hours of HD video and animations explain everything you need to know to earn your private pilot certificate and most importantly, feel confident in the left seat. Combine that powerful test prep tool and a comprehensive document library with the convenient app options and you have aviation's most complete training course. Plus, free lifetime updates mean you'll always have access to the latest information and study tools. There are no subscriptions and no upgrade fees. Just buy the course once and enjoy it for life. Sporty's 2020 Learn to Fly course is available online or use the dedicated apps for iPad, iPhone, Android, Apple TV, and Roku. They literally have an app for everything you could possibly use to study for this. Your progress always stays in sync, and for more information or to sign up today, visit sporties.com slash p2p course. That's sporties.com slash p2p course. What is going on, AV Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. As you heard in the intro, today we are featuring Dick Nepinski. He works for the EAA. He's been there for a little bit of time, so he has some great insight on what EAA has gone from and what it is today. I look forward to sharing this episode with you. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. We're currently at 365 reviews. I'd love to get to 400 by the end of the year, so go ahead and head over to iTunes and leave us a review and let me know what you think. If you'd like to visit us on any of our other social media platforms, check out our website, pilotthepilothq.com. You can find out all of our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, anything that you'd want to look us up on, we are there. Aviation, I don't want to keep you any longer. So any further ado, here's Dick Nepinski. Dick, what's going on? Thanks for coming on the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Well, it's a pleasure. So glad you could make it to Oshkosh. Yeah. It's not air venture season. You can see it looks a little bit different right now than it's, it does. During- it's weird. I'm looking out his window right now and there's nothing out there. Just some, not empty hangers, but hangers with not thousands and thousands of people hanging around. It's a whole different look. People who have flown up here during the off season, as we call it, yeah. there's still a lot going on, but it's not what everybody thinks of as Oshkosh, which right. is wall-to-wall airplanes, wall-to-wall people. And it's kind of a fun time to be up here because you can take your time, go through the museum, enjoy some of the other things uh, that we have here during the rest of the year. Yeah, the museum's awesome. That was the first time I've ever been through the museum, like I was telling you before, and you guys have a lot of great stuff and a lot of cool history in there. So I highly recommend anyone to come check it out. It's Thank worth you. your time. Yeah, a lot of sure. people work very hard to uh, keep that collection up and keep it clean and keep it to the standards that uh, Paul Polberesny always wanted us to keep it at. And I still hear his voice sometimes when I see a piece of trash on the ground and I, I go pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Well, we'll talk more about EAA and talk more about Oshkosh in a little bit. I want to kind of focus on you, talk about your story, why you got into the, why you got into aviation. What was the original kind of, um, why, just why, I guess is the best way to ask it. Yeah. You know, Justin, I've always liked airplanes um, as long as I could remember. Growing up in central Wisconsin, uh, we were about two miles from the airport, and there were corporate jets and other airplanes that flew over our house because we were on the approach pattern 
uh, heading northeast from the airport. And so I'd see the corporate jet going over or I'd see the airplanes flying by. And I was one of those kids during a baseball game that you'd, instead of fielding the ball, I'd be looking up and watching the airplane going over <laughs> while the ball rolls to the outfield yeah. fence. And, uh, but, you know, kind of like a lot of people, you, you go to school, you start off in your career and um, you have the time, but you don't have the money. And then you end up, um, 1992, I ended up here, uh, came up through the journalism side and then ended up here doing uh, public relations, uh, being an assistant with that. And ground school was free here. Oh, cool. And I thought, okay, let, let's try it. And after that, okay, let's try a few lessons. See if I like it. See if I have an aptitude for it. And like most people, well, the, the bug bites you. And then, <laughs> bites uh, you hard. <laughs> okay, now you're stuck. And uh, <laughs> so I uh, went and got my private ticket. I'd like to say I, I conveniently you know, crushed three months of flight training into seven years uh, because at the time, um, you know, our family was starting and a uh, new house and all of those type of things, but eventually got my private pilot ticket and um, had that ever since. And so uh, just one of the multitude of pilots here. And uh, it has been a journey here over 27 years now at EAA oh, wow. where you say, how could I be so lucky and end up here? That's awesome. And do the things and not being from an aviation family or any background in it to have this and have this as a career and have the world come here to Oshkosh every year is, is something special and something we relish every day when we come in. What was it about aviation? Cause you said you're not from an aviation family. So there had to be something that kind of just like initially caught your eye. What was it just the plane? Was it just the sound, the smells, the, the sight of seeing something fly? What was you, what was it? Uh, I think it's probably something that, wouldn't it be cool to be able to fly, to not sit in a car or ride my bike or whatever it was as a kid, but to, I can go all the way there by flying. And, you know, what, what an incredible sense to do that. And it's one of, it became one of those bucket things. You know, let's, uh, that is something I would like to know how to do. And like everybody else in flight lessons, uh, there are probably times where you go, why the heck did I ever decide <laughs> to do this? Uh, but you get through it yeah. and you keep working at it. And uh, after you accomplish that, what's fun here on staff is seeing people who have no aviation background come in here. And, and then about six months in go, yeah, I think I'd like to try it. And we have flying club opportunities here with the staff and so forth. So you can go out and, and get your certificate and, and earn that. And I always tell people, it is one of the great accomplishments of my life those things that you can take this machine put it in the air go someplace land it and be there and do that again and again and again uh you know paul poberesna used to say that for thousands of years people wish they could fly and you know for the past century we've been able to do it why would we ever want to limit that freedom now that we can do it so um you know you think about that and that's really where it came from it's thought that would be so cool to know how to do that. Yeah, that's a pretty profound statement to make because it is true. Ever, ever for as long as time has been, I'm sure someone has looked up and like, that'd be cool to fly. I want to try to do that and yeah. can't limit the freedoms of it. So it's exactly. really, it's really yeah. a cool thing to say. Uh, do you have more than your private? Do you only have your private? What all ratings do you have? Yeah, I just have the private. Okay. You know, it's uh, one of those things you, you keep looking on and um, like a lot of people at school, um, you know, school, first of all, took some of the money before I got into flying and then, you know, building the career and so forth. And then 
got my license and then my first two kids went off to college. So guess where a lot of my money went to all of a sudden? Those uh, kids, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, it's one of those things now you can get back into it and mm -hmm. uh, do all that and maybe get some additional ratings, uh, do some things, maybe a, a tailwheel endorsement at some point, something like that would be a heck of a lot of fun to do. Um, because the great thing about aviation is the only limit you really have is what you put on yourself. Uh, you know, if you want to go get your instrument, you want to go get your tailwheel, seaplane rating, whatever it is, it's out there. You can go do it. Yeah. Uh, so it's one of those opportunities. But, you know, I'm one of those people that I like going from point A to point B, discovering new airports, uh, putting some interesting ones in the logbook, things like that. Yeah. And those are the, the kind of adventures I like, you know, kind of the expanded hundred dollar hamburger in some yes, ways. Those are the best. Yeah. Uh, when you were working at EAA, was uh, your full career then? Were you in your twenties when you first started working here? Or yes, how? early thirties. Early thirties. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you kind of had, you had a family, you had a career going and you're just starting to fly. There's a lot of people that reach out to me and kind of say, Hey, I have a family. I'm in like, I'm 29, I'm 28, I'm 30, whatever. How do I manage family, work and flying at the same time? And you kind of went through training and you kind of said, mm -hmm. we took a three months and turned it into a couple of years. <laughs> Yeah. But talk about the difficulties of kind of prioritizing flying when it's something like that, because I know a lot of people are in the same situation where they want to get their rating and it's just life gets in the way. It's just tough. It is tough, especially with a young family or, or families where you have kids that are in sports and activities in school, doing all of those things, uh, trying to find the time. I found out um, very often early mornings, uh, right at sunrise, as long as you can is a great time to yeah. do it. Um, one, the wind is down, you know, you, you get up there, especially after solo and you're doing stuff by yourself and you find out that the, the wind is a hard crosswind and it's, um, not that much fun. Well, in the morning you can get away with that. You go out, fly for an hour and, uh, until the winds pick up and come back down like, and then come back I'm in. Done. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a lot of that, um, uh, a very understanding spouse, mm. uh, to do those type of things, uh, just fit it in where you can. And it doesn't have to be all at once. Uh, I had the great benefit of getting a local flying club here, which meant I didn't have to worry about a, a rental from an FBO or anything else. I could belong to a flying club uh, that had an instructor as the president. And that so helps. you could, yeah, you could set that up and, and she wasn't, um, she didn't charge a lot. You know, it was something she did in retirement and just uh, enjoyed doing it. Um, so it, it, one of those things, I was very fortunate to land in that, but I'd certainly recommend, uh, the flying club opportunity, uh, if anybody has that and has that available to them in their locality, uh, to pursue that because then it's not quite as crushing. Um, and you probably have a better chance at getting the airplane. Sometimes uh, with FBO airplanes, they're, they're marvelous airplanes, but there are a lot of people asking for them. Yeah. And so if you can get into a flying club, uh, and mine was fortunate uh, I don't think we could have more than 12 people in at any time. So you, you had a very uh, broad opportunity to get the airplane. And once uh, I got my private certificate, it's something you could use to say, I'd like to take it for a weekend yeah. and uh, take it up to, uh, in my case, northern Wisconsin, where I had some friends. And I always tell people, instead of three and a half hours of driving on a Friday night in the Cherokee, it was about an hour, 20 minutes to get up there. And then that's the great benefit. And um, you come landing someplace and the one airport was right next to a golf course. So I'd throw my clubs in the back, <laughs> call a friend and said, you know, I'll meet you at four o'clock for well, a round of golf someplace. Play a team, then I'll fly back. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> or, or stay, you know, it was just a lot of fun. So those kind of experiences, um, was fortunate enough to put MIGS Field in my logbook. Oh, cool. Before it closed, uh, went down there. 
uh, actually to see a Packer Bear game back, I think it was about 97, and um, came in, it was about 8 o'clock in the evening, uh, no wind that night, just a beautiful uh, evening, and coming in over Navy Pier, all lit up in Chicago, um, and calling into Miggs Tower, and they said, you're coming in from the north, yeah, you're, you're clear to land on 1-8, just, um, you know, it's wide open, and yeah. it sat like an aircraft carrier out there just waiting for you. Uh, you know, just uh, get on the glide slope and come on down. And uh, to do that, and then instead of four hours of driving through Chicago area traffic, it was, okay, an hour and a half along the lakeshore, seeing all of that, parking the airplane, hopping in a cab, and 10 minutes later, you're in the hotel. You know, and it's just like, okay, now I see the benefits of this. And I uh, like this aviation thing. Yeah, <laughs> this aviation thing saves me a lot of time. Yeah. And you know, I, again, just the great experience to do that. So um, that's a long answer to a short question, but that's yeah. kind of where it went. Chicago is one of my, I'm biased now because I live there, but mm -hmm. it's uh, one of my favorite cities to fly over, especially at night. You get all the lights reflecting off the lake and mm -hmm. it's just, everything's lit up and looks really cool. Never got to fly into Meg's Field. I was seven when you're talking about that story. Right. It's only seven years <laughs> old. <I'm> so old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wasn't able to fly to Meg's Field then, but I've heard stories and I've heard it's really cool. And I've also heard about the shutdown process, which was just uh, and crazy and just illegal. A, <laughs> and, uh, well, I was on staff when that occurred and we were all stunned yeah. when we heard that had occurred. Um, and, you know, it, it is a crime, especially since it was so well used by not only corporate entities, but the emergency responders mm -hmm. um, with the Navy helicopters and Coast Guard and the uh, police helicopters and so forth. It was so convenient. And, um, you know, I always tell people that a couple of years ago, uh, we had an airplane, small aircraft, I think it was an air coupe that was heading back home after air venture. <laughs> And was it blue and yellow? Yeah. Yep. I went and, to college with him. Oh, yeah, really? Okay. Well, you know, there, yeah. you know the, the story is yeah. uh, they had an engine failure and had to land on Lakeshore Drive. Yep. And I tell people, I said, you know, that it was a perfect, this is what as pilots you train for. No harm to people or property and you could fly the airplane again. So, you know, a perfect emergency mm -hmm. landing. Um, but I also tell people, you know, until about 15 years ago, there was a perfectly good airport they could have landed <laughs> at right there, but they didn't. Yeah. So, uh, you know, those are the type of things. Um, the one thing that I do recall landing at MIGS that night uh, was the evening was when you'd look up, you'd see all of the airliners heading toward Midway and O'Hare over the top of you. And then you'd look toward O'Hare off to the west or the southwest. And it looked like a tornado of fireflies as they were in the pattern coming <laughs> uh, down because you'd see them all lined up and doing the pattern work to land at O'Hare. And then I said, wow, you know, what a sight that is. And it's a sight you would never see except flying the Lakeshore corridor in the evening, looking that way. You'd never see that from the ground, but to see it from, you know, 2,000, 3,000 feet, look over there and see that. I go, and it, it's still in you know, burned into my memory uh, seeing that that evening. Yeah, what you can see from the ground is still pretty impressive too. Because I remember there's sometimes I'm driving home when I land at O'Hare and come back home and you can just look out to the east and over the lake, you can still see like six, seven planes lined up for each runway. It's just like, whoa, yeah. like that's crazy. I do not <laughs> want to be in that mess right now. Yeah. And then you add weather into the mix and it's just O'Hare. Oh. Uh, yeah, special well, place. <laughs> and everybody knows when O'Hare goes down, the country goes down. Yeah, and it's... That's, uh, uh, you know, many times I think we've all been at O'Hare where they have to close one runway and things start instantly backing up all yeah, over the country. And everywhere. You know, it's it's part of what we have right now. But again, makes me very thankful that 
we can hop on our own airplanes yeah. and, and go fly someplace. That's nice for mm-hmm. sure. So talk a little bit about your journey at EAA. So we briefly touched, I think before we recorded that you really started in journalism and mm-hmm. you kind of talked about the NFL and some work you did there right. and stuff like that. What brought you to EAA and what was kind of, I know you always loved aviation, but I'm sure there had to be, uh, I don't know, like a lot of people get away from aviation that didn't necessarily start flying right away. Then they come back. What was it that brought you back? What, what brought me into it really was kind of happenstance. Uh, again, I came up through the broadcast journalism side, uh, working in radio, and then also had an opportunity to do some part-time work in, in print journalism here, uh, covering the NFL, uh, NCAA tournament, um, cool. high school and college football, all the stuff you do for a local newspaper. Um, and there was a public relations assistant opening back in 1992 and applied for it um, and managed to get it. I, I, I still kid the guy who hired me <laughs> is that... Um, he hired me because I could pitch softball uh, because, uh, you know, he, he was the pitcher on the EA team at the time yeah. and he didn't like pitching much. And so I, I said, I blurted out in the interview, well, if this works out, you got yourself a pitcher. And, uh, awesome. and, and a couple weeks later, I got the job. So I always tell him, well, thank goodness you needed a pitcher because otherwise I wouldn't be here. Were you a good pitcher or are you a good pitcher? Yeah, yeah, well, you know, we've so got a, tro- a, we've got a trophy up here, you okay. know, from 99. So, so it's, the higher uh, paid off then, yeah, yeah you won the championship, yeah. And um, had a lot of fun with that, but um, hired as a um, public relations assistant, low mm. man on the totem pole. Uh, I, I liked airplanes and could write a little bit because of the journalism background and started there and uh, just kept working my way through. Uh, when my boss left, uh, original boss left, the 1998 or so, uh, I kind of evolved into being a chief spokesman for mm-hmm. EAA from the communication side and did that for a number of years uh, within the communication staff. And then in 2010, uh, they asked me to be director of communications. And that is where I've been since. And um, I tell people either I really like this job or I have no transferable skills whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, so, funny. you know, here we are, you know, 27 years after. Uh, first stepping through the door of EAA as an employee and, and still here, um, you know, I suddenly I went, I tell people I went from one of the young lions to one of the old buzzards, but I'm not sure which year exactly <laughs> that was. And That's it's, funny. It, but uh, it's been marvelous. You know, I've worked with a lot of great people, met some tremendous people, famous, not famous, but just um, aviation is is full of marvelous, generous, giving people. And it's filled with some of the others too. You know, I think it's it's pretty much like the human race all the way around. Absolutely, you get the yeah. good and the bad. Um, but for the most part, um, tremendous people, our, our volunteers, our, our members, our chapters. Um, you know, this week we have uh, between 30 and 40 of our chapter leaders here from around the nation. And they are um, sharing their experiences, their successes, their challenges. Uh, we're sharing the resources we have with them that we can give them from headquarters. And it, it it's a great opportunity to hear how grassroots aviation is going in their hometowns. What's happening at their airport? Are they flying young eagles? Are they doing some other things? How's the pancake breakfast? All of those type of things that make EAA the organization that it is. And, and that's what makes it so marvelous. I have a kind of a two-part question. It's kind of the same question, but on two different sides. Yeah. How have you seen EAA change in your career here? Have you seen, has it been a drastic change or have things kind of stayed like status quo the whole time you've been here? It's evolved because it's always evolving. The The members make it evolve because uh, first and foremost, it's a membership organization, Justin. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, you respond to what the members want. Uh, you know, uh, Paul often said, you know, 
when he started out, people were building home builds from sets of plans and they weren't always standardized. And so you were, you were kind of guessing. Um, Sounds dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there were. And, you know, I think the accident rate back in the 50s yeah. and 60s um, borne that out in yeah. many ways. Um, but to see you know, the kit evolution and now of the technology available in airplanes, you know, I, I had the E6Bs and the charts and everything else when I started flying. And now everything's either in the glass cockpit or in your hand in, in a lot of ways. You know, you've got the, the small handheld GPS unit. Uh, remember the first GPS unit we were using in the Cherokee. Uh, cost us more than a thousand dollars. You could get six airports on it. It was all in black and white, and uh, you know, it, and we thought it was the greatest piece of technology ever. Um, but now to have the color moving maps and all of the things involved, and in, in, in the software available on your iPad yeah. that uh, is part of it now. Um, but to see um, some of the changes in EAA, first and foremost, the the people are the same. They're genuinely interested. They're enthusiastic. They're passionate about flying mm -hmm. uh there is something in the human spirit that people will always fly they, they will find a way to do it uh it is something though the technology now is so much different um you know we used to mail out news releases <laughs> and you know mail out packages for air venture and you'd get an envelope with all of the admission and here are the camping and here's the stuff you need to know and God forbid if it had to change because you'd have to print everything <laughs> over again. Into uh, now, um, you take a look at the website and social media and the instantaneous communication. And from the communication side, Justin, that's probably the most different part. Um, you know, you don't wait for a letter anymore. You know, you don't wait for the facts to come back. It keeps speeding up, and now there's instantaneous communication, whether it's. Uh, through a, a Twitter direct message, whether through it's a text message, whether it's through Facebook or Instagram or something like that. Um, in most ways, that's good. In some ways, it's like you see with social media everywhere. Uh, it can lead to misrepresentations. It can lead to um, misinterpretations. And so being in the communication side, there's a demand to constantly stay on that and keep watching it just to make sure that people don't have a mistaken impression or God forbid that they start running a separate agenda. Yeah. And, uh, you know, those are some of the challenges we have today. And one of the big changes we have. Yeah. Cause social media is an extension of your brand, right? So it's extension of EAA and you're giving that to, to more people, more access to your brand. And then there's also word of mouth. So if something gets spread that's wrong, like that can spread really fast. So it's something like you said, you have to constantly be on top of, and as good as social media is, sometimes it can be your own worst enemy because if one mistake can kind of, I mean, you've seen it, it could be something really bad or it could be something that's very innocent and it can just totally damage damage an institution, a college, a, a company, a person. So right. it's definitely something that, that you have a lot of power. It, it does. And it's interesting to see that because sometimes um, the controversy becomes bigger than the issue. Yeah. You know, the, the controversy becomes its own animal. And, um, you know, we, we try to prevent that and get the facts out there as quickly as possible. You know, I've never understood those people that, that hide. And when something happens, you don't hear from them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, an, an example is uh, just a few weeks ago when uh, the Collings Foundation tragically lost its B-17 out in Connecticut. Um, of course, we own and operate another B-17 that tours nationally. And 
while we had absolutely no obligation to answer any of the media questions, since it was not our airplane and not our tour and so forth, we felt we had to uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we operate a B-17. We know what goes into operating one. And two, if we don't respond with the facts, there's a vacuum out there. And that vacuum will be filled somehow because the media is asking. And if we don't respond, somebody will. And are they accurate? They may or they may not be. Yeah, can't so, always trust the media in aviation. Right. As learned. <laughs> yeah, it becomes very yeah, complex. Yeah. And I, I've spent a lot of time with reporters I bet. Uh, going very slowly, explaining things yeah. because some reporters will admit. Uh, I had one admit to me during the entire B-17 episode that the entire experience with flying that they had was flying down to Disney World on an airliner. Uh, yeah. So, okay, I appreciate you telling me that on the front end because we can go slow enough to help you understand. Um, and you know, so that's one of the challenges too, making sure that if we don't tell aviation's story correctly, nobody's going to do it for us. Uh, so we have to get out there and we have to present that. So that that's part of it as well, yeah. Justin. And then my other question was kind of away from EAA, but still aviation. How have you seen aviation change? Like, obviously there's a, a pilot shortage here or a pilot shortage. I don't know whatever. Some people say pilot shortage, pay shortage, but we'll just call it pilot shortage for now. Mm -hmm. There's a pilot shortage. There's obviously a shortage of people in aviation from all aspects of it. Did EAA kind of like, I, I guess one of my, another question would be, did you guys ever see this happening like 10, 15 years ago being like, Hey, this is going to happen in 15 years. We need to really try to get some more young people in aviation or just how, how all has this changed and how have we got to where we are today? Yeah. Answer your first question first. Um, yeah. The technology is so different. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, going back to you know, the, the basic six and the E6B and charts. And now you look at glass cockpits and moving mats, maps on your iPad and so forth. Uh, it is so different. I mean, even things, you know, from you know, fuel and from carburetors to fuel injection mm -hmm. and engines and all of those type of things. But to your second question, actually back in the early nineties is what led to the young Eagles program because we surveyed our members and said, what's the most important thing that EAA could do for aviation right now. And our members said, getting young people involved. Now, this is 27 years ago mm -hmm. that they're saying, at that time, we need to get young people involved. And that's what led to Young Eagles. And you know, now with nearly 2.2 million kids flown, uh, you know, and tens of thousands of pilots and aircraft mechanics and so forth, who got their start with that Young Eagles flight. Um, you know, that's pretty impressive legacy yeah. by the volunteer pilots. And so uh, the short answer is yes, we, we did see it coming. Uh, it is amazing now to see people from the airlines to Boeing to everybody else saying, we're not a little bit short on pilots and mechanics and technicians. We're tens of thousands of people short that we're going to need in the next 15 years as the baby boomers retire out from airline flying and so forth. Um, it's critically important, and one of the great things is there's a place for almost everybody in aviation as a pilot, as a technician, working dispatch, doing all the associated jobs within aviation that are so necessary. Uh, you know, I, I've met a lot of marketers. I've met a lot of finance people who are involved in aviation. Those jobs are out there as well. So it is a wide open field, and telling young people that that's available to you and it's cool. There's a certain thing about aviation that you're working in the aviation industry, and there's a cool factor to it. You know, it's um, 
you know, for instance, uh, I don't want to besmirch things like insurance, which is a wonderful industry <laughs> and they, and they do very well and they're very professional. Um, I would have a tough time saying, okay, you've got a choice of being involved with airplanes all your life or insurance all your life. Okay. I'll take airplanes. I'll take airplanes. Yeah. And, I'll, and I'll buy insurance for the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, um, you know, thank goodness there are insurance people. There are aviation insurance people. Again, even in insurance, there's a way to work with aviation and be a part of that. So it is such a wide open field that we want to let people know that, especially women. Women mm -hmm. are only 6% of the pilots in the country. And if we're going to fill that gap in technicians and pilots and mechanics, women are going to have to be a part of it because, you know, get all the guys we want into the field, it's still not going to fill that right. hole. So we have to get women involved and, uh, and see that and, you know, trying to do some things on that order as well to let young girls know there's a spot for you here. And, you know, we have a responsibility to help change what may have been a traditional culture in many ways and uh, make it more welcoming and inclusive and those type of things. That's an important part of it too. So uh, all of those things working together, hopefully we can get to young people and tell them there's a place for you. Yeah, I agree. I think that's definitely a necessity to get more women in aviation because you said it's only 6% of all mm -hmm. pilots. And I don't even know if it's 6% of women in aviation in general, or if that's too high, because I'm sure like once you get into to people like um, maintenance and other jobs like that, it might be even lower for what the percentage is for mm -hmm. the overall amount of women in aviation. What, like, how do we go about doing that? Like, what's the best step? I've talked to some women in aviation and they always said the the first time they were released, they wanted to be a pilot. It was either their dad was helping them fly or they saw another female pilot. They saw another woman piloting the airplane. So I think, like, is it exposure? Is it getting more women out here showing the, the young girls that they can do this and stuff like that? Or what's, what, do you guys have steps in mind to get yeah. more women in aviation? Well, first of all, the second part of what you just said is, is, is really so true. When girls... Uh, for instance, those at our girl venture camp in the summer come here and hear mentors, whether they're airshow pilots, whether they're military pilots, whether they're uh, own an aircraft company. We've had some of those come through here uh, involved in the highest levels, the C-suites from um, aviation companies and talk to girls saying, this is open to you uh, to let them know that's part of it. It's work. And if you take a look at uh, some of the sciences, if you want to be on that side of thing, the engineer, the piloting and so forth, there's work involved and that might be it. But even if you want to be in the, in the marketing finance side, um, some of that, there are spots for you as well. Uh, when we bring in an airplane, for instance, um, like UPS did or United did with an all-female crew yeah, that's cool. to show that on Women Venture Day to say, and you gather this year a thousand women involved in aviation and get that group photo uh, that we do every year. That shows there's tremendous power there. There's tremendous opportunity for mentorship there. And how do we get those women involved in aviation into the places where they can reach girls and tell them this is available for you? Let's start to build that wave and bring in it. You know, it's uh, Patty Wagstaff had a great line one time when asked uh, about you know flying and being the first woman to win three national aerobatic championships. She said the airplane doesn't care and you know in man or woman yeah. you know black white gay straight whatever it happens to be airplane doesn't care it just wants to be flown correctly yeah. and uh so as long as we keep thinking that that that's a dream that you can go out and do that uh, we we see marvelous examples 
from all over the place. Um, people such as Heather Penny on our board to um, Megan Flanagan, who was uh, an Air Force pilot and so forth, or flying F-16s, all of these type of things. Um, I better say this, I better back up. Megan was a Navy pilot. Oh, I'll get in trouble. Oh for boy. That. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, sorry, boy. sorry, sorry. You know, <laughs> Heather was an Air Force yeah. pilot. He so, said it, not me. Yeah, it wasn't that's right. me. I'm clear. I want to stand corrected <laughs> yeah. immediately right now. Um, but um, nevertheless, um, you know, it's one of those things that there are some mentors. Now, hopefully there are girls sitting in the audience um, or reading the articles or uh, getting involved uh, through things like Young Eagles that, you know, is something that we get to show as an example. There, there's probably no better example than in a hometown, a young girl getting a young Eagles flight and there's a woman pilot flying, um, which says you don't have to be a military or airline pilot or one of these people way up here to be a mentor. You can be a private pilot, a sport pilot, and you're flying kids and saying, you can do this yeah. because I live in your hometown and I'm doing this. You can do this. And uh, we've seen that example over and over again, where young eagles get their pilot certificates and are now flying young eagles. And so if we can build that example, uh, that's probably as powerful as anything else. No, I totally agree. And like we, I think we all agree, we need more bodies in aviation. Like you said, whether it's women, whether it's men, whether it's whatever, we just mm -hmm. need people to fly planes and to enjoy aviation and keep our industry growing and keep it around because without people flying without people in aviation. There's no EAA. There's no pilot to pilot podcast. There's no anything of that. Yep. So well, whoever you are, come out and fly. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we all like yeah. it too much. We yeah. love to share it. That's, I know, right? That's one of the great things, you know, and there, there is a little bit of people say you fly airplanes. And I think all of us who, who do fly go, well, yes, I am a pilot, you know, and <laughs> who, uh, <me>? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let me get my scarf and yeah. I'll show you. And, and uh, you know, so there's some of that and, there is definitely a cool factor. Mm. You know, I, I've gone places and met with friends and they said, well, how long did it take you to drive here? Well, I don't know because I didn't drive here. <laughs> how did you get here? I flew the airplane. Really? You know, and, yeah. and, and then you get all the other questions. Can you do that? How much does it take? And, and so forth. And it's a chance for us to be ambassadors. And in order for aviation, not only to draw people into that for a career, but just give it the right public perception that no airplanes don't fall from the sky. They don't, you know, all of these things that say, no, I fly. I enjoy it. It's something I do. And here's why I enjoy yeah. it. And explaining that to people and sharing that joy and that passion we have for it um, really makes a big difference. Yeah. And then also tell them, be like, it's really easy if you want to do it too. Literally, all you have to do is just go to this airport, knock on a door, and you'll get an intro flight probably it, that it, day, right? Then and it, there. it is. It is something that uh, I say, you know, people ride motorcycles, drive cars, um, you know, operate power boats, all of these things. I said, it's a piece of machinery. Mm -hmm. Now there's a third dimension to the piece of machinery that um, automobiles and motorcycles don't have. And you have to understand that as well. But it is a ultimately it's a piece of machinery that if you operate it correctly and safely, you can do a lot of things with it. I mean, there yeah. are people who you know, operate lawnmowers badly, you know, and so, you know, and <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> but you know, those type of things that we have to understand that it has to be operated safely. Um, you have to be trained, you have to be knowledgeable. Um, you have to make sure you stay on top of things. Um, but if you do that, it can offer you rewards. You can't get any place yeah. else.
Yeah, uh, I totally agree. And obviously the minute, so <laughs> we would all agree there as well. So uh, we, let's talk a little bit about Oshkosh and mm-hmm. EAA as well. Uh, I guess one question is, do you know how many members are at EAA off the top of your head? If yeah, you could- right now we have just passed uh, 235,000 members. It's amazing. That, that number has been growing steadily over the past decade, I'm happy to say. That's awesome. Um, you know, there are a variety of ways we do that, reaching out to the aviation community, getting them involved. Uh, having our, our members and chapters reach out uh, have been so important, the 900 chapters we have. Uh, also, as young people have been involved with Young Eagles flights, encouraging them to become student members. It's a very easy step. Become a student member. Be part of it and engaging them in aviation. It's not just a Young Eagles flight. Here are some opportunities. Whether you sign up for the Sporties online Learn to Fly course, whether um, you see Sport Aviation magazine, whether you know whatever you happen to do, uh, one of the most exciting things recently has been the emergence of the Ray Aviation Scholarship Program. Uh, the Ray Foundation this year gave us a million dollars to fund one hundred ten thousand dollar flight training scholarships. It's incredible! Uh, and we have given out ninety six of them through EAA chapters already. More than twenty of those young people have earned their pilot certificate. Uh, Fifty five of them have taken their solo flight. We've only had one drop out, which is a big step because right now we know people who start flight training, about 80% of them on the norm drop out oh, at wow. some point. We want to change that and reverse that 2080 to 8020. And right now we've got 90% plus still involved in flight training. Um, admittedly, they have the scholarship to do so, but you still need motivation. You still need to do that. It's been so successful in 2019 that the Ray Foundation said, we're going to up it 20% and give you $1.2 million in 2020. That's amazing. Uh, you know, these are direct ways to create pilots. And so, um, you know, those are ways that EA is working right now to, to actually make that connection to young person interested in flying, to getting them in the cockpit, through our chapters, having the mentor program there, and have them see success. Yeah. And as with any other pursuit in life, you work hard and you see success, you're motivated to go on. Yeah. It's funny mm-hmm. when you brought up motivation. I didn't know it was 80% drop out. Mm-hmm. That's a big number. I thought, I thought it'd be more of like 40% because everyone has issues in their training. Everyone hits a stumbling yep. point and it's almost to the point where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like it's too hard. I don't think yep. I could ever get this. And like, I, I had that. I'm sure you had oh, that I in had your private too. as well mm-hmm. multiple times too, but it's just like everything else in life. If, if you really want it, you got to work at it. You got to push through and it's, how do we get those 80%? Maybe you can just get it down to 20% or 50% to start out with like how, like just, I would love to know the numbers and the science behind trying to get that number down and try to get more people in. Yeah. One of the big things is time and money. Yeah. Uh, you know, people do so many things with their time. Um, and, Learning to fly is not an immediate gratification situation. It's something that's going to be a long-term process. Even if you're dedicated to say, I'm going to earn a certificate in six months, it's a hard six months. Yeah, uh, You have to be dedicated to it. And the other one, of course, is money. And how do we start to make sure that we have flight? And first of all, having flight instructors, there's a crying need for flight instructors who aren't just moving on to eventually become airline pilots or, or do something like that, who are really dedicated to teaching. Uh, that's a need right now. And of course, making sure they're paid well enough while at the same time making it affordable for flight students to take that training. Uh, it's a complex problem. If there was an easy answer, somebody would have thought of it a long time ago, but it takes everybody involved in the community to say, 
how do we do that? Um, the Ray Aviation Scholarships is one example, and we hope other groups and foundations follow that. And whether it's through EAA or somebody else, allow that to happen. Maybe it's in your local hometown to be able to go out and say, I'm going to fund a scholarship for a person to learn how to fly, yeah. who, who shows the aptitude and the dedication and the motivation to do it. Um, so, you know, it, it's a complex problem. It's one that we have to keep working on because there are always challenges. You know, um, Paul Poberesny said back in the 1960s, there were challenges to people learning to fly. Uh, some of them just go, it gets too hard mm -hmm. or they think it gets too hard or um, it's taking time away from the family or the family isn't really supportive um, or they scare themselves. Yeah. That's and, and that's a where one. a great instructor, yeah. I think we, all of us in our flight training scared ourselves at one point yeah. or another. Um, it takes a, a good flight instructor to say, okay, that happens. Let's get back in there and I'll go with you and we'll make sure that we get you over that hurdle. Yeah. Um, learn from it and then don't do it again. Yeah. Don't do it again. <laughs> yeah. You know, because, uh, yeah, you know, I think we've all had that thing coming in too fast or bad angle of attack on takeoff or whatever it happens yeah. and you go, Whoa, you know, cause things happen fast. Yeah, they do. And, um, so, you know, how do we do that? How do we as a community not sit back and often, uh, I'll tell members, I say, okay, it's up to each one of us. It's not the other person saying, well, somebody has to do it. No, each one of us have to say, how can I help do that? Whether it's, through the EA chapter, through a local flight club, just through encouraging people who might say, boy, I've always wanted to do that. You should contact my buddy over here at the airport and I'll put in a good word for you and, and get started. Take that first flight and make that first step and see if it's, if it's your thing. Yeah. And find out. Definitely. Yeah. No, that's why I tell people that want to get Navy. It's like, take an intro flight. You might get sick. You might not actually yeah. <laughs> like to fly once you start flying. So don't buy the Bose headset. Don't spend all this money before you at least see if it's like everyone thinks flying is cool, but once someone might not like it when they're in the air, you don't know how you're going to react. So definitely take that intro flight before yeah. you devote money. And I always encourage uh, taking people flying uh, again in the morning or in the evening before sundown when the winds are calm and say, you know, look at the gorgeous countryside yeah. out here. Isn't this beautiful? It's like glass out here tonight, you know, yeah. and find those days. Uh, because you know, one bad experience, if you're being bumped all over the sky yeah. and you know, you're looking for the bag, um, yeah, yeah no. they're not going to come back. That'll ruin them forever. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Ruins me forever when I have yeah. to fly. Like, I don't want to do, I have to do that again. No. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about Osh now. So mm -hmm. last year, 2019, you guys had the most people you've ever had. Is that a, does that happen every single, like, has it just gotten bigger every single year or are there years where it would kind of mellow it off and drop down? Or is it always for, like you said, the last decade, your, your membership has just continued to grow as Oshkosh the same way. It, it is amazing watching the last few years because heading in after 2018, which was a tremendous event, you know, we topped 600,000 mm -hmm. people, total attendance and, uh, you know, saw the campground full and things like that. And oh, we actually, looked ahead and said, we probably won't do that again. Let's uh, kind of predict 5% down <laughs> for 2019. And then we started to see, it was the 50th year in Oshkosh. And we started to see the pre-event ticket sales and it stayed up. It was amazing to watch that number going, wow, these numbers are up. We even went back and I'm like, okay, let's make sure all the numbers add up. Yeah, we're this, not this is really ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we knew coming in that we were going to have a very successful year um, we weren't expecting this. I mean, you know, more than 6% up over the previous year. Uh, a lot of things come together. 
for something like that. The enthusiasm for the 50th year in Oshkosh, something special there. Uh, some of the things that were part of it, whether it's the home built and Burrutan coming in with all of his classic designs coming to Oshkosh, whether it's the gathering of P-51s and Bud Anderson that were here, uh, 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission uh, coming in, you know, Alton and Michael Collins being here, all of those things. And part of what we try to do is put together programs every year for every area that we have. So regardless of what your interest is, there's something there that will attract you to Oshkosh right. because um, yeah, there are great local fly-ins all over the place, but aviation needs an Oshkosh uh, for a variety of reasons. One, what Oshkosh does for myself and a lot of people, you get here and everybody speaks the language. You don't have to explain why you fly. Everybody <laughs> understands yeah. it. Um, it is a great national and international showcase uh, that turns out to the regular standard media, mainstream media, about aviation and look at all the people involved in it and look at the cool things about it. Something that you don't get with a local or regional fly-in. You have this international focus on aviation on Oshkosh every year. And, you know, and finally, just to say, here's the new technology. We need a focal point. We need those kind of things where people can come together and say, what's new in aviation? What's old in aviation that we want to see some more mm -hmm. of? You know, things like the XP-82 this year yeah. uh, that, that took years and years to restore to see that fly this year. And to see it parked on the ramp with all the other variants of the P-51 through the years, well, that's an only an Oshkosh moment. I mean, and that's why we need an Oshkosh, not only for the external showcase, but for ourselves to, to go back and say, yeah, what I'm doing is pretty cool. <laughs> well, like what you said too, is like, I love the levels of it. So if you are never seen an airplane before, you can come and go check out airplanes. If mm -hmm. you're kind of on the next level and you like seeing airplanes fly, you like being around it and the smells, you can go watch the air shows. Like, or if you want to build an airplane, you can go to a workshop and learn how to build an airplane. There's so many levels here for any type of aviator or av geek or just normal person that doesn't know anything about aviation. It's just a great place to get exposure and just to figure out what aviation's all about. Yeah, it, it, that's such an excellent point because we say, you know, with 600,000 total attendance, there are 600,000 different sets of expectations yeah, when they walk in absolutely. that gate the first time. You know, it's not like... Um, you know, going to an NFL game where the people there are pretty much unified on what they want to see happen. They want to see the team win. Yeah. Um, but here people come in for all the reasons you just described too. And they say, well, maybe I want the latest gizmo, or maybe I want to find that part to my 1935 weed hopper that yeah. I'm still looking for <laughs> exactly. and I can find it there. Or I, I want to get together with buddies I see once a year, yeah. or I love seeing the heritage flights, or I, I want to go to this forum, or I, I want to hear Michael Collins speak about Apollo 11 live and in person. You know, all of these are expectations that people come to Oshkosh with. And one of the challenges is meeting all of those expectations. Yeah. And, uh, and we have a wonderful group of staff people here that do that. And of course, the 5,000 volunteers that make this event work. You can't say enough about them. Yeah. Um, they come in, they come in early. They stay uh, this year when we had the six inches of rain in 36 hours the rough. weekend before. <laughs> uh, we had volunteers we had to tell to go eat and go home yeah. because um, they would just keep going yeah. otherwise. And, uh, you know, to see that come together, uh, it, it is uh, a phenomenon. And it's a phenomenon that you don't see a lot of places. Uh, and that's what makes it so cool and so special. And 
I guess why I keep coming back year after year. Yeah. How to uh, explain to, cause not everyone will know this, the kind of logistics behind AirVenture and Oshkosh and how far ahead you guys start planning. Like, did you start planning 2020 before 2019 happened? Or is it like you all, everything goes up. And once the day ends of 2019 AirVenture, is it like, all right, now 2020, who are we booking? How are we getting this? Do you guys kind of have the same idea of what, what's going to happen? The short answer to that is yes. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> yes. Uh, for instance, um, when the Blue Angels came in 2017, yeah. that was a two-year process uh, because the Blue Angels scheduled two years in advance. So how do you do that? How do you bring them in? Especially in Oshkosh where you have a narrow aerobatic box that is not a standard aerobatic box. Uh, how do you make that work not only from the Blue Angels side, but from our neighbors on the other side of the airport? asking them to leave their homes and businesses mm -hmm. for a little while so you can fly the air shows on three days. Uh, there's, um, you, you have those type of things. When the A380 came here in 2009, that was a three-year process. Oh, wow. Uh, because we had French engineers coming out and standing on the runways, not to see if they were long enough or wide enough, whether they were thick enough to handle that airplane. Uh, you know, so those type of things come in. Uh, the vast majority of years, as soon as... One year is done. That's Sunday at five o'clock. We start talking to the volunteers and the chairman before they leave. Okay, what worked? What didn't work? Things like that. Start to assemble that. Um, we have a lot of meetings and discussions with companies, with aircraft owners who are at Oshkosh saying, hey, next year, do you want to bring that aircraft here? Or do you want to bring that program here? Or, you know, what do you have coming next year that you might like to show at Oshkosh? And those discussions start on the flight line the previous year. And then you start working through them. And we get a lot of ideas. Yeah. Uh, we get sent a lot of ideas. Yeah, um, I bet. Yeah. There's no shortage of ideas that come along. <laughs> you usually start, you know, you people really should, and I'll just fill in the blank yeah. from that point onward. Um, you know, Paul used to have a great way of handling that because he, he'd have people come to him and say, you people should really do this for the fly-in. And he'd say, that's a great idea. I'm making you chairman of that. Find some volunteers to go with you and tell me what you need. <laughs> he said about 50% of those people went away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but it's one of those things that there are always great ideas that come along uh, to say, hey, what happens if we put this together? What happens if we do that? Um, you know, he, firefighting aircraft. That was something that somebody in the firefighting aircraft community came to us and said, you know, you guys have never really showcased it. We've got some really cool stories to talk about. Um, okay, yeah, let's put that yeah, together. So idea, this yeah. year was one of the things. The, um, the honor flight that takes place here every year uh, was something that was brought to us and said, wouldn't it be cool if you guys could do that at Oshkosh? And now for more than a decade, we've flown 100 veterans from Oshkosh to Washington, D.C. and brought them back at the end of the air show the same day. And uh, for really a, a very moving event, yeah. That's one of my favorites of the entire week. But those are the things that um, the event evolves as those who participate evolve with it and want to see things. And some of the challenges we have right now are actually those of the success that we've had. Um, where do you find places to park all the airplanes that want to be here? Where do you find places for all the campers who want to be here? Uh, for years, we've been telling people camping is the best experience at Oshkosh. People have listened and now they're, they're coming here and they want to camp at Oshkosh. You know, how do we continue to meet those expectations in future years? That's one of the great challenges. Yeah, as I say, obviously you're limited in the space that you have for the airport and kind of the area around the airport where people are willing to, to give their houses on Airbnb and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So how do you, 
like, how do you keep growing? How do you get bigger when you're limited to how big you can possibly, you can't fit any, it felt like you couldn't fit a single more, single yeah. more plane or person or camper in there. So yeah, you can't make more earth. No, That's the you problem. can't. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's um, one of those things, um, using, looking at the grounds and we're continually looking at the grounds. How do we make it more efficient? How do we move people and vehicles? Uh, for instance, this year we brought Northwestern University's transportation school in mm-hmm. to say, uh, look at what we do. How can we move people better? How can we park people better? How can we do all of these things in a better way? Uh, Jack Pelton, our, our CEO, has said, we want to have a goal of not turning any airplanes away who want to be at Oshkosh and uh, you know, saying, okay, we're going to move you to Fond du Lac or Appleton or you're going to have to go someplace else because we're full. How do we make it more efficient to bring people in? Uh, we've worked with the airport in in freeing up more land at the south end and start to use that for aircraft parking as well, which of course brings in more logistics. You have to have the transportation, mm-hmm. the restrooms, the showers, the, the food outlets, all of those things get added into that as well. Um, you know, how do you look at parking vehicles? Um, airplanes will always have the priority. Aircraft parking will always have the priority. Um, but as you expand that, where do you move auto parking? How do you deal with that? Uh, do you start looking off-site and bussing people in like a lot of major events do? You take a look at some of the golf tournaments out there, PGA US Open, and they have off-site lots and people who drive in will be bussed in and it's a continual loop. Um, you know, Is that a possibility in the future? We don't know. We're still studying that. Um, so, But those are the challenges that are in there because we are one of the, it's a huge event and uh, there are a million moving parts and I often tell people you cannot knock over one domino at Oshkosh because it sets off everything else. And so, um, you know, it's something that the exhibitors want will affect what the campers have and where the aircraft parking does and what the air show does and where the auto parking lots go and all of those type of things. And on top of that, you get six inches of rain in like an hour and then you can't bring any planes in. So it's like, well, yeah. now what do we do? Yeah, and, you know, you have motorhomes that uh, are, are sinking up to the hubs and then uh, you have... What I call a uh, three-mile-long, three-lane-wide parking lot, uh, waiting motorhomes and campers waiting to come in. Yeah, and where, and this is where I want to mention the community of Oshkosh, how important they are to us. Because, for instance, this year there were parking lots that we called and said, "Yeah, we'll take campers." We had residents calling us and say, "I can fit three motorhomes in my driveway if you need cool. a place to put people." Um, you know, the, the YMCA, the arena downtown, the university, UW Oshkosh, all here um, saying, yeah, you know, what do you need? Uh, how can we help? Uh, those kind of things. So, it, you know, it's you make a plan. You say, OK, if the plan doesn't work, here's what we're going to do. And then when things actually start, you say, OK, that's not going to work either. What do we do? Yeah. Uh, and you, you make it work. And um, that's a credit to the community. It's a credit to the volunteers and the staff. And it's a credit to the people who attend here to say, Okay, we understand. We have to figure it yeah. out. Well, I mean, this has got to be the biggest week in this whole town's. And every single year, this is the biggest week for the whole town. I'm sure they make more money that week than they do on any other week combined for the whole year. So it, it it's, is. It's um, uh, UW Oshkosh, the economic school, actually did an independent study two years ago. And within the five counties, right? Oshkosh, which is Winnebago County and the counties surrounding it. It's $170 million of economic impact for that 10-day period. Yeah. 
Um, to compare that, the U.S. Open Golf Tournament, which was in Wisconsin back in 2017, was $120 million for the state. Uh, the Green wow. Bay Packers are about $15 million of economic benefit for each home game. And so two preseason, eight regular season, that's $150 million. That's incredible. Air Venture, 10 days, $170 million. If you expand that out to the state, it's close to $200 million. Wow. So it is an economic driver. It's one of the crown jewels of the state tourism industry here. And the fun part is, Justin, if you go any place and you start talking about Oshkosh, chances are within three minutes, somebody's going to say, you know what about that big air show out there? You ever been there? Yeah, I've been there a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, and or they've been there or their uncle or dad or mom or aunt or somebody, they, their neighbor has been there. And they say, yeah, we've heard about Oshkosh. And if you go talk to a pilot, almost anywhere in the world. Yeah, uh, Oshkosh. And you say Oshkosh, they know exactly what you're uh, talking about. So the community understands too, the visibility that EAA Air Venture gives the community. And it, so it doesn't even, not only helps the, the gas stations, hotels, restaurants, all of that, uh, the community, the economic development people will tell you, they say Oshkosh, when they're making a visit to a company, somebody there knows it and somebody kn so you have a foot in the door right there. Absolutely. You know, unlike a, a community, you know, Sp Springfield or Greenville, which is a common name, wonderful communities, but a common name, you don't have to explain Oshkosh. Yeah. They, they know that right they away. Know that, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's funny because my wife's med, my wife's in medical school, like we talked about earlier. She has some friends that are from the area. I was like, yeah, I'm going up to EA Air Venture up in Oshkosh. And they're like, what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I used to volunteer at the food stands. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, when I was in like high school and I was like, this is crazy. So it's like, yeah, it's mm -hmm. a very well-known thing all over the world from people in aviation and outside of aviation too. Cause they have no, they don't, all they did was just come here for the, the job or volunteering mm -hmm. and that's it. They didn't really care about aviation. So it was kind of funny. But there's that touch point there. And again, that again, what we were talking about before Justin is why we need an Oshkosh. Yeah. Um, whether it was us or whether it's somebody else, you need that central point where all the visibility comes. Yeah. And everybody looks at aviation for an entire week. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great thing. And it's something that I didn't get to come to until was it two years ago. So I was a 27. So mm -hmm. I highly recommend people come earlier than 27, come as young as you want, because there's a lot of stuff to do. As you show me the, the kid venture side, like mm -hmm. there's a ton of stuff for kids. There's a lot to do here. There's a lot of hands-on stuff for kids, teenagers, adults, whatever kids that are 60 years old can still come in and play around and, and play with a lot of things. So it's really cool. Yeah. One of my favorites, um, is we have an, again, all volunteer run area. Uh, we take Pioneer Airport and make it into the Kid Venture area. And we have 25,000 people go through that in a week and it's all hands on. Yeah. Kids are flying simulators. They're building model rockets. Uh, they're, they're actually building wing ribs. They're, they're riveting. Uh, we've got a place where you can take apart an aircraft engine and put it back together again. That's awesome. And kids can go through there. And we've had people say, I had no idea that you complete all the tasks you get a toolkit. The kids get a toolkit handed to them at the end saying, yep, you've successfully completed everything. Here you go. <laughs> and these are real tools, yeah. you know, and they go, go build a plane. Yeah, yeah. they go. <laughs> yeah. And, but it's that kind of thing that someplace down the road, you know, we're planting seeds yeah. and it might not sprout this year or next year, but down the road, 10 years, 20 years, somebody goes, you know, that aviation thing, that was kind of fun. I remember that experience. I'm going to look into that some yeah. more. And that's where you get people uh, back interested in it. And you get people enthusiastic about your local airports uh, coming out there. 
And when it comes time to make a vote, a public vote, uh, they're saying, yeah, let's, let's hang on to the airport because it's important in our yeah, hometown. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I would definitely, I think everyone in this hometown would agree that it's yeah. important for you guys. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, I guess one question that I was kind of thinking of while we're talking is what's your relation with the FAA? Obviously something that is this big needs to have some kind of special regulations for it. Like what is it? up and down does it change every single day or they've been awesome or they've been like hey you guys need to do what you need to do by all means go do it we've had a tremendous relationship with faa through the years you know there there are always some bumps in the road you know a few years back when they started charging us for tower fees uh that that was difficult because it was a half million dollar bill but um yeah (laughs) and i I don't care if you're running a you know a church picnic or you're running you know air venture uh to have a bill that takes a certain double digits percentage and increases it yeah. to your budget uh, is tough to take. Uh, fortunately, working uh, through Congress, uh, we've been able to get relief for large aviation events throughout the country uh, to be able to have those tower services. Yeah. Our contention has always been air traffic control services should go where the airplanes are, whether that's O'Hare, Hartsfield, and JFK. Well, for this week, it's Oshkosh. Yeah. And so uh, safety is the key. Safety is the priority one. So let's make sure everybody's safe. Uh, but working with FAA has been marvelous because it is such a complex airspace. Uh, you're talking about thousands of airplanes of different speeds and sizes uh, coming in. Uh, a lot of people not necessarily familiar with the airspace. How do you train them? How do you establish a flow where... It works smoothly, and most importantly, it works safely. And finding that, um, 2018 was an example where we found places we could improve. Uh, it was one of those situations. The weekend was crummy weather. At 2 o'clock on Sunday, the weather cleared. Now you had thousands of airplanes trying to get to Oshkosh. We parked about 3,000 airplanes in approximately six hours. Sheesh. Uh, but you had a lot of people coming in, and, and pilots let us know some of the problems that we had. Okay. We're going to go back. We made a bunch of recommendations to FAA. They came back and said, okay, we can take these. They didn't accept all of them, but they took a number of them and said, okay, let's put these into the NOTAM. And so pilots have this opportunity. So uh, like everything else, it evolves. It, it's something you want to make sure, first of all, it's safe. Second of all, people feel comfortable flying it. Um, there are those who say, I'm not comfortable flying uh, the approach to Oshkosh. Um, and others who say, it's really not that bad. Um, again, you know, it's, it does take a special um, awareness, I guess I'll put it. It doesn't take special skill because we're all licensed pilots, but it takes a special awareness to do it. Some people are more comfortable with that than others. Um, so, you know, we, we continue to say, how do we make it better? We'll take those recommendations. We'll, we'll consider them. We'll pass them along to FAA. And, and that's the kind of relationship we have. And they, the NTSB, everybody else has been marvelous uh, the fact the administrator comes here, the Secretary of Transportation comes here, they know the importance of this event to aviation. They come and see it, and we have an opportunity to show them on the medical side, on the certification side, on the airport side, to see what's going on here uh, among grassroots aviators, uh, because it's very easy to get locked into commercial aviation when you're in that office, right. and to come back and say, well, there are more airplanes actually involved in general aviation. We have to pay attention yeah. to that too, because that's the foundation. That's the bedrock that all of the commercial aviation is built on because every pilot has to start somewhere and that's flying a GA airplane. 
Yeah, and they get to kind of come here and get reminded of why maybe they were in aviation or maybe why this is important, like you said, because this is fun. It's like it might not be making them a ton of money. It might not be getting the mm-hmm. airlines aren't paying them to do certain things or investing money in them. But like this is getting more people in aviation and this is something that's really fun. And it kind of, I'm sure they they come here and they start smiling. and like, oh, all right, we yeah. get it. I get it. This needs yeah. to be here. Yeah. It's it's fun. It's um, you're with other aviation geeks. Yeah. Uh, and, and we um have a great time with that because yeah. you don't have to. And one person once said to me, you know, I spend most of my year explaining to my friends and neighbors why I fly, why I spend more on my airplane than I do fixing up my house, why I, um, why it's safe, all of these things. He said, I come to Oshkosh, I don't have to explain it. Everybody speaks the language. And that's what makes it so great that you're, you're among kindred spirits, you're, you're among a brotherhood, a sisterhood here, and it's a community. And it, it comes together each year, regardless of what you fly, what you like to see flying, it's here. And that's what makes Oshkosh so special. But um, the FAA comes here and they set up, they know they reach their constituency, their marketplace here. And they can talk to a lot of people and have conversations with many, many people here that they cannot do anyplace else throughout the rest of the year. I'd say it's a great opportunity for the FAA to kind of be a personality to like show them like, Hey, we're more than just this, this legal office that's here to get you in trouble. Like, Mm -hmm. come get to know me, come (laughs) get to know us. Like I love aviation too. Like I'm here to enjoy this just like you are Mm -hmm. do it safely. But like, you know, I feel like it's a great opportunity for the FA to kind of be more human and be more humanized and coming here and showing their face. There are people, there's some very hardworking, lots of hardworking people in that agency who, who are aviators themselves. Uh, You know, we've had, uh, associate administrators fly themselves in their airplanes here to Oshkosh. Um, you know, it's so we talk about um, the DC, but you know, even down to people like the region uh, out of Chicago to the um, Flight Standards District Office in Milwaukee. The relationship we've built with those people, um, the the air traffic controllers that come from throughout the country to work here at Oshkosh and get that pink shirt and then you know be able to be proudly say, yeah, I did Oshkosh. Uh, you know, those kind of relationships are are so special. And again, it bridges the gap and we're all together here as one and have those conversations. Yeah. And that's so important for the future of aviation to make sure that it continues, uh, that if there are challenges out there, uh, everything from airspace to certification to fuels to whatever it happens to be, you know, we we can talk about those things here and say, all right, what are some of the solutions? Where should we go from here? All right. I'm pretty much done with all the questions I have. I have, I guess there's one more I could ask, but I have a section I want to do called rapid fire. Okay. So I'm just going to come up with a bunch of random. I have a couple I know I'm going to ask, but okay. it might be a long list, might be a short list. So we'll kind of see where it goes. Okay. You ready? Ready. All right. What's your favorite? Oh, and make sure you answer as fast as possible. First thing comes to your head okay. as fast as possible. We'll do. What's your favorite airplane? P-38 Lightning. What's your favorite airliner? Airliner has to be oh, probably the Airbus 320. Okay. What is Airbus 320? Or 220. Okay. Yeah. I was like 320. That's very... <laughs> a, a 380, but I haven't flown on one yeah. of those. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite business jet? Business jet? Oh, man. Probably whatever Gulfstream's coming up with because they're up the road at Appleton. They're a big yeah, business just up the road. Go. What is a dream airplane of yours to fly? So like it could be as big, it could be as fast as possible. It could be a space shuttle. What's like one plane <laughs> or one aircraft that you would want to fly? Okay. I'll go back to P-38. The other one is... The Haviland Beaver on floats. There you go. Float plane would be sweet, especially yeah, the Beaver. Be, yeah. That's awesome. 
Do you uh, what? Do you have a favorite airport to fly to outside of Oshkosh? You can't say Oshkosh. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, Meg's was, but uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but R. I'd R. have to say my favorite little airport, probably way up northern Wisconsin. It's called a little town called Park Falls. Okay. And I go up there, and it's like finding an airport in the middle of a big green carpet because it's all <laughs> national forest up uh, there. That's cool. And you land there, and that's the one that has the golf course right next to it. <laughs> there you go. That's cool. Do you have a least favorite airport? One that you just like don't like going into and will avoid it at all costs. You know, there are some. I guess I, you know, I'm a GA guy, and so sometimes the the class B, class C airports, um, I have to be ready for them. Yeah. Um, and that's just a matter of training. Yeah. You know, it's, if there's an airport there, I like flying to it. Um, sometimes uh, in a small GA aircraft, it's a little bit more tough because sometimes you're not regarded as highly, and yeah. it. Um, becomes you know they you hear the word expedite a lot yeah go faster um, you know and so um yeah you know i'm sure that you know but you know some of the big metro areas uh, are, are kind of ones that I, I shy away from but it's um that's probably something on me as much as anybody else yeah no i, I mean i would agree with you though too yeah. you're not wrong all right let's see uh, long legs or short legs and flying um I like to, um, I drive this way too, long legs. Long I, legs. I, I go, you know, and uh, again, my bladder doesn't hold out as much as my dreams do sometimes. <laughs> so you end up landing someplace else and doing some great discoveries, yeah. landing in a little airport and say, hi, right, let's fuel up as long as I'm here. Oh, cool sandwich. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll get that's that. That's so funny. I flew my dad after I got my commercial license and we're like 10 minutes into the flight and he's like, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Why didn't you go to the bathroom before two hours? Like I did. I was like, all right. I didn't think it was this exciting. Yeah, yeah. We went to go fly to, uh, in North Carolina, there's this place called BQ one. It's called Carthage, North Carolina. Okay. And it's the restaurant. There's the pick and pig. And okay. it has some of the best barbecue you'll ever have in your life. And it's just, this like really hole in the wall airport that you land at. And you eat under a porch on the outside and you eat barbecue. Make sure you bring cash. I've told the okay. story a ton of times. Okay. So everyone listening is like, uh, but make sure you bring cash or else you have to wash dishes. But <laughs> But okay, I'm going to write that down yeah. after we're done. Carthage, North Carolina. Yeah. Got B it. BQ1 for barbecue BQ1. one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great airport to go to. But yeah, that's funny. Bathroom, yeah. Uh, let's see. All right. What's your favorite airline livery? Airline livery. Oh, boy. You know, I still miss Midwest Express. Okay. Do you I have mean, a least favorite airline livery? One oh, that you're just like, oh. Man, you know. Like it's, the old um, Southwest I think planes. we all have horror stories. Some of the big ones, you know, whether it's you know, American United. Um, yeah. Delta, I've always had pretty good luck on. But yeah. it's... um. You know, it's sometimes they can't control it. Sometimes you just go, there's got to be a better way to yeah. run consumer businesses than this. For sure. Yeah. What's your personal favorite year for Oshkosh? If you could choose one. Off the top of my head, 1994, the year okay. we had 15 Apollo astronauts here and the Concorde at the same time. That's cool. Um, you know, every year is my favorite as soon as it's done. But that one stands out as just simply tremendous. Uh, 2017 is a close second because we had the Blue Angels yeah. at a seven Apollo astronauts. We had Stan Lee giving us a superhero and Jeff Bezos from Amazon all showing up at the same year. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, so you are, say, 2020 Oshkosh is going on. It's deep into it. You're on like day four. You are really hungry. What's like your number one go-to food at the locally in Oshkosh at the airport that you'd want to eat? At the airport, yeah. I head out just outside the main gate. There's a little food stand called Sacred Heart. Okay. Run by the uh, Catholic Church. One of the Catholic churches in town at St. Jude Paris. And um, they've been there for years. Uh, they do a marvelous job. And um, 
it's good food and I, I enjoy it. It's, uh, I'm going to tell you a quick story real fast. Yeah, that, go for you it. know, people always say we need more healthy food here and we, we've been working real hard to do that. And then we look at what people order the most of when they're at Oshkosh, brats, cheese curds, and root beer floats. That's what they come to Wisconsin for. That's we need right, the cheese exactly, and the brats. Yeah. Come on, yeah. <laughs> You're on brand, man. What do you yeah, expect? Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like a good cheese curd. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. That's awesome. No, it's true though. So, all right. This time you're connecting on an airplane. I know that you kind of fly yourself, but mm-hmm. you are connecting. You need to get to, to go sun and fun and check out the rival down there. So yeah. you are uh, in an airline. You're in Charlotte. You're in wherever, Chicago. You want to get some food. What's your go-to food at an airport? Oh boy. Uh, go-to food in airplane, uh, airport, um, someplace fairly fast. You know, it's, um, you know, I've eaten everything from Sabaro to McDonald's to everything yeah. else. Um, you know, there's actually, there's a place in Buffalo. I, I really like there is it's on one of the concourses. <laughs> I don't think that sentence has ever been said before. Yeah, there's a place in it's, Buffalo it's really, I really like. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. It has local, local brews on oh, really? tap and uh, the sandwich was really good. And, you know, I, I can't remember. And of course there's um, in Buffalo there, they have an outlet for anchor bar where the first, um, Buffalo Wild Wings came up. That that was the inspiration oh, cool. for that. So the Buffalo Wings actually invented in Buffalo at Anchor Bar. So that's in the airport in Buffalo. That's a long way to get to Charlotte or Sun and Fun, but it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. But the food is great. Yeah. yeah. Side note, this is completely random, but I'm, so I went to Ohio State in Columbus. Did you know that Buffalo Wild Wings was started in Columbus, Ohio? That's right. It was. Yeah. You know, the, the people in Buffalo will fight you about the Buffalo Wings, yeah. but Buffalo Wild Wings, um, you know, those guys did pretty well for themselves. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. They're there's about 10 coming up here in yeah. the last like five miles. So <laughs> they're doing pretty well. Up they here. are. Yep. <laughs> well, cool. Those are pretty much all the questions I have for you. Oh, I have one more. If you are flying, say you're going to ready to go fly today, you have to grab one thing. What's one thing, object, it could be an iPad, sunglasses, watch, whatever you, that you always have to have while you're flying. When I fly, well, you know, certainly the iPad, you yeah. know, to, to do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, today I'm probably get away without the sunglasses because yeah. it's cloudy here. Um, you know, it's just, um, I've got my headset and it's uh, it's an old David Clark headset and I love it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sorry for the people at, you know, Lightspeed and Bose, they're, they're all wonderful. <laughs> I've used them all, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's my headset. And I think we yeah. all have those touch points that, uh, you know, this is my thing. And when I go through my checklist, I go, yeah. That's yeah. it. I'm comfortable. <laughs> it, it fits my ears. <laughs> so uh, it's funny when you when you get out of like your comfort zone or kind of every every pilot has a routine, whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. Whether you you don't have your same headset, whether you didn't bring the whatever your seat cushion. Like if you have yeah. one thing that's not right, it can affect the whole flight the whole yeah. time. You'd be like, man, I really wish my seat cushion. Man, I really have, I wish I had my headset. So yeah. making sure you have everything you need to be comfortable is huge. That, that's a great point, Justin. Because you know, as a pilot, you you have to refocus and say, okay. I don't have that, but let's go through the checklist. And I'll tell you a very funny story very quickly before we run out of time here. Um, My solo cross-country flight, taking off out of Oshkosh. And um, (laughs) the Cherokee had had a little quirk that I was flying at the time. If you didn't close the door exactly right, there was a little bitty gap between the the door and the frame. And I had all my checkpoints on a piece of paper there, and I set it on the seat next to me as I'm taking off. And about five minutes out of Oshkosh, I'm just climbing to altitude at that point. And suddenly, there's that little gap in the door, and I see my little paper with all the checkpoints kind of quiver and then whoop, out the door. <laughs> it, whatever it was, it folded out the door. Uh-oh. I figured there's some farmer <laughs> yeah. out west of Oshkosh suddenly had this checkpoint list fall in his face <laughs> while he's driving his tractor. So now you're on your solo cross country and you go, yeah. oh boy, now what? Well, I had my chart, I had my wristwatch, and I'm going, okay, let's do this the old school way. Yeah. And uh, it actually got me to lacrosse and back around and, and got my solo cross country done. 
told my instructor that and she just went, oh boy, you know, where did I get this student? And uh, <laughs> so, um, but that's, you know, one of those things that it can mess with your head, but yeah. you have to say, okay, refocus, what am I doing? And learning to fly has been a marvelous tool for me and for anybody to say, okay, you've got to concentrate in the moment, think ahead of the airplane, do all of those things yeah. and forget about the outside distractions. Yeah. And that's a good example to everyone listening or even to yourself when you're doing training that you, not everything's going to be perfect in a flight. Like you have to figure out how to adapt. Aviation's yeah. all about adapting and you have to, it's like, all right, I can focus on the fact that I just left my checklist and everything just fell in my flight log, just left the airplane yeah. and there's nothing <laughs> I can do, but it's like, I'm in the air. I have to go to here and go back to here. I have no idea where I am. It's like, I have to figure this out. Some yeah, so, are mandatory. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you got, you got to learn how to adapt and you learn very early on on your solo cross mm -hmm. country. It's like, all right, what's plan B? What's plan C? Yeah. How are we doing this? Is that a field? Can I land there? You know, just a thought process of going mm -hmm. through that. Well, that's really funny. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I have one more question for you, but I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been great talking to My you and pleasure, learning Justin. more thank about you what you do, kind of how you got here, how you started, why you started, and kind of the whole process of coming here. My last question is for you. Obviously, you said you have had more members than you've ever had before, but I'm sure there's still people that are sitting there and be like, oh, they just want my money. Like, it's such a cash grab. What do you say to someone? I'm not saying it is cash grab. I'm just, That's what fine. do you say to someone? And how do you explain to someone that, like, how important membership is here and how important it is for you to give whatever the cost is for someone to join up for EAA? Yeah. It's so important to have organizations where we show we're banded together, that we are a group. Uh, you know, we have friends on our AOPA, for instance, who uh, do a lot of lobbying. What, what's really important about EAA is it's a grassroots organization that you will get in touch with people locally. You'll get in touch with people regionally. You'll have resources for education. Uh, you'll have all of these resources that you can't get alone. It would cost you very much to do it on your own. We say that about AirVenture. Mm -hmm. If you try to do all the things you can do at AirVenture separately, it would cost you six times as much money and you'd have to travel everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, you can do that here. So EAA is essential because it, first and foremost, it is a grassroots organization. It is a field organization. It is made up not only of us, but of members who care too and want the best for aviation. And I'd say, come on, be part of it. We have a lot of fun. And yeah. so, you know, being part of it, You'll have even more fun in aviation. Absolutely. I'm a member, so I'm not saying that it's a bad thing at all. I was just, because well, you, you know, there's a lot of being a member. Yeah, I know. I it's like that. we have the sign up sheet right here. We take credit card, we take PayPal, that's we right. take yeah. <laughs> however you want to pay. We'll that's take right. it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. But uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I look forward to hopefully maybe having you on later in the, the year as Oshkosh gets closer. We can talk about 2020 Oshkosh yeah. and Air Venture and everything. So let's do it again. Come up it. see the museum anytime. And, Absolutely. Uh, we'll see you on the flight line at Air Venture. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. And that is a wrap of episode number 80 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Like I said earlier, leave us a review on iTunes. Check out our website, pilottopilothq.com. Also head to our Instagram page, at Pilot to Pilot. Click the link. It is a link for our shop. The shop is back. It's back for the holiday. I do not know how long the shop will be back for. It could be permanent. could just be until the end of Christmas or maybe even January. So check out the shop. Let me know what you think. Got some laddie swag on there. Got some Pilot to Pilot merch and hoping to get out some other stuff before Christmas comes along. Aviation, as always, happy flying.